I feel like Spongebob in that one episode with the water, except it's wine in the situation. Yeah. And he's like, I need it! I've actually been uh, watching Spongebob again, like, just throwing it on when I'm doing homework and stuff. Me too. I love it. I put it on for, I say I put it on for Theo, but I put it on for me. I'm like, look, Theo, cartoons. Does he watch Scooby-Doo? Um, I think I've put it on, but he hasn't been interested. He's, right now, he's really into uh, Magic School Bus. That's been, like, his favorite show right now. But they have, like, um, it's not the old one they they did like a remake yeah where it's like (laughs) (laughs) when i heard they were coming out with a new one i was like i must see 27 years old need to see it (laughs) you betcha (laughs) oh you're not 27 yet 26 i'm about to be i always get so caught up in fall and being excited about spooky season that i forget my birthday is right after right there and right there so it's, I've literally, it's September, which means my birthday is two months away. Fucking right there. I have been calling myself 28 all year. Like, in my mind, I don't know why. I just associate myself with being 28. So <laughs> I don't really know what's going to happen next year when I actually turn it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. 29. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where has, like, where did the years go? We're 30. I'm. I just, like, fuck, I'm at that age where it's not appropriate for me to be being such a fucking, like, the way I am, but <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna blame society. I'm, I'm gonna blame the boomers. Times have changed. Right, Bush. You know, it is now completely okay for you to be living with your parents at this age. Some might even say innovative. <laughs> well... It's a circle of life. They take care of you, you take care of them, even when they're still taking care of you. Yep, and (laughs) it'll never stop taking care of me, but that's okay. This is the Red Rum and Red Wine (laughs) podcast, the podcast where we talk about murder, mystery, and mishaps while trying not to be the biggest ones to our mothers. My name is Kristen. My name is Sarah. Hi. Hi. Part two. We're back for part two, Betches. Betch. Uh, I had had to wait a few hours because fucking life got in the way, but hey, now it's good because instead of a white claw, I have wine. Mm. And instead of a white claw, I have my pumpkin beer. It's that late night recording. Hey, hey. Uh. Coming at you with part two. So, if you listen to part one of the Dorothy Puente slash boarding house of From Hell thing, which you. <laughs> you should have listened. If not, yes. go go back one. You you missed out on some stuff. Yeah, go listen because this is part two, and it might make a little more sense if you listen to the first one. To to be honest. And I would like to address my pronunciation on Dorothea's name. I know we're kind of touching on the confusion on that uh, in part one. So I do believe it is Dorothea. (laughs) 
Yeah, I definitely, I I definitely looked up some YouTube videos and like the YouTube people were saying Dorothea, and I saw and the investigator uh, said Dorothea. Yeah, and yeah, and so I don't know why my mind was just like Dorothea. (laughs) It happens. It happens. Yeah, it happens. And then happens when you're in your brain. Um, it's it's really not a big deal because whenever I said like when this is all happening, I think I said Dorothea was. 60 or i may have said about 60 she was 59 i don't know if that matters she just looked 16 yeah um whatever but i'll do a quick recap before we dive into part two um just in case you're you need a refresher Mm -hmm. um so basically in part one we covered um a little bit of dorothea's upbringing and history What opens the investigation up is when a man named Bert goes missing. So we talk about uh, investigators going to Dorothea's house to question about her, question her her about Bert. Um, Investigators get permission by Dorothea to dig in her yard and they find skeleton remains, skeletal remains. And then on day two of this investigation, they're digging for more bodies And just as more remains are being found or about to be found, uh, Detective Cabrera gets word that Dorothea is not where he left her. For a six or 59 year old, she sure fucking moves fast. Right? So Cabrera had walked with Dorothea to a nearby hotel. She said she wanted to grab coffee and that's where he had left her. Mm. So at this point, he's like, what the fuck, Dorothea? Where are you? <laughs> so this set off... An Click your red heels and send you home. Yes. This set off an international manhunt. Because at this point, they definitely just found human a second set of human remains. And then they find out she's gone. So this is mm. obviously a red flag. And God, Dorothea, your timing on this, it, you know, this escape how she kind of pulled it off was pretty impeccable. I mean, like, honestly, you gotta, you gotta, okay, just another point that women just tend to do things a little bit better than men. Uh. She played it. Sorry. No, no tea, no shade. Sorry. It's only like 1% of our audience is male. They get it. (laughs) But it's just insane how she was able to keep it so calm, so cool, so collected and be like, yeah, this is an old house. Like, obviously this body, like, I have no idea. And then when she's like, fuck, they're not going to stop there. Well, okay. I'm an old grandma. I need some tea to keep me awake and not fall asleep during this investigation. Lo and behold, she has like the fucking escape plan of all escape plans like yeah what's more mind or what's like crazy mind-blowing to me is that she literally had the police escort her to her her escape i can't the fucking lead detective that is telling you the story is like i'm the one that fucking walked her to the place it's just like because you wouldn't think that some sweet old innocent lady would do that, but she's not a fucking Just sweet old out. innocent lady. I don't like, oh, don't judge a book by its cover, people. Hello. Yeah. Like, she found the perfect opportunity. She was probably watching the dig happen, and while watching John Cabrera dig. In the area he was digging in, when he was unknowingly feet away from another body, 
he gets interrupted by Dorothea to get coffee. Like, yeah, right. She got him to stop digging. He got she got him to pause what he was doing and found a window to get the fuck out of there. Like, I'm just, I don't want to give you a round of applause, but it's, it's an, that's something that you see in the movies and you're like, no way it happens in real life. It doesn't happen that smoothly, but uh, I, grandma, come on, grandma, grandma, Dorothea, Dorothea. An employee at the hotel that she was supposed to be getting coffee at was questioned, and they did see Dorothea. They said she walked across the lobby and then used the hotel phone, and she called a taxi because she got picked up by a taxi cab. Mm-hmm. And um, I mentioned in part one that while there's kind of a famous photo of when Dorothea was getting escorted out from her house to go get coffee where she's wearing this nice-looking red long-buttoned coat and it's kind of drizzly she's holding an umbrella the employee from the hotel specifically remembered you know this little old lady in a red coat so it was pretty oh my god um, like little impressionable i guess yeah <clears throat> and this little instance in the hotel lobby was the last time dorothea was seen by anybody like locally John Damn. Cabrera was ripped apart in the press and in the media yeah. for yeah, walking John. Dorothea to her escape. <laughs> he received poor major John. backlash. And uh, I think maybe like the next day, a press conference was held by the chief of police to kind of address this mistake made. Because it wasn't solely on Cabrera. It was on the police department. No, but I will give it that like they were given a lot of warning i feel like like judy judy was on it she knew what was going on the fucking note that was handed to him saying that she's it's just like i i get that you see this lady and you're like there's no way that she could commit all these horrible crimes but at the same time like you have on some rose-colored glasses because you are missing all of the red flags that are popping up around this woman but because she's some old woman you're completely ignoring it so like i i understand i feel like you at least have an officer with her in her apartment yeah exactly happening exactly you're talking like you've already found one dead body it's just you can't um you really let that one slide through your fingers man like i i'm sorry i understand that people make mistakes but wow that was that was a pretty big one like ooh, yeah in the press conference uh the chief said kind of verbatim basically we let her walk away we shouldn't have let her walk away she's a killer and mistakes were made yeah. And so now... At least they admitted it. Yeah. Now they have also labeled her a killer in the press. I just thought that was interesting to mention because although she fled, which was highly suspicious, they Damn, haven't exactly yeah. determined that she has killed anybody 100% yet. That so, is a really good point. Um, I think this kind of fueled the media fire with this whole case and... This whole thing with Dorothea basically walking away also fueled John Cabrera even more to catch her. Ooh, he's pissed. Yeah, he was like, nope, I'm going to turn this thing around. 
fuck you, bitch, you're going down. Except investigators really had no clue where she could have gone and didn't know where to start in looking for her. Um, They did the basic stuff, you know, like a, a nationwide search, such as her photo being all over the news. Um, you know, they checked airlines, bus lines, so forth. They were hoping with all of the news media coverage that somebody obviously would see her photo in the news and see her in public and kind of like turn her in or give a tip. But um, it didn't lead it anywhere for a while. And so while they were trying to locate Dorothea, they still have to focus on the remains they are exhuming. Ugh. And... This whole case at this point is a fucking crowd, dude. Yeah. (laughs) Not only is it blowing up in the media, but the whole F Street where the boarding house was located was flooded with spectators, news crews, and media crews. Um, Like, they showed it in the documentary, just the whole street was flooded with crowds of people. People were trying to profit from this whole situation by selling merch and swag. Okay, that's not okay. T-shirts and shit. Ew, no. Literally one of the neighbors (laughs) was selling T-shirts. This, like, really humanity, we don't, we can stop now. Like, fuck, dude. Some, you, we find dead bodies and we think that this could be the worst of humanity and then the fucking neighbor goes and sells motherfucking (laughs) T-shirt. And you're like, oh, okay, no, it's, it, mm, ball keeps on rolling. All Mm. right, fine. Whatever helps that person sleep at night. (laughs) I guess, I guess it's money. Maybe I would have bought one. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe just like, I want to think back, uh, what is it? Uh, morbid to that one case it's like a really popular case where there was like a murder in this old house and they had like a raisin cake and people would go in and like take the raisins as memorabilia (laughs) and i was just like damn you know back in the day i probably may have been one of those people to take a raisin (laughs) unfortunately i really hate that that's me but I can't oh, help it. It, it. <laughs> it, it you know it. I, I'm working on it. Not really. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> so, although Dorothy is uh, fled, <laughs> the dig continues because they still are focusing on what they are currently exhuming at the time Dorothea went missing or not. You know, fled, and. They weren't expecting necessarily to find a second set of remains. So now they're really like, okay, now what else can what? we find? Yeah. Fuck. So me. we're on day three now, which is November 13th, 1988. Um, at this point, everything from the side and backyard area of the boarding house had been removed to making this excavation a little easier so, you know, mm-hmm. there was a shed, there was a patio, there was a bunch of s- random cement. They ripped everything off and out and made it to where they could just dig. So, yeah. Uh, they pushed forward or downwards, I should say. They start digging in a new area where some concrete had been. About a foot into the ground, lime started to appear. And two feet further, so about three feet into the ground, they hit more human remains. So a third body is then exhumed. The lime in the ground was most likely to put there, or most likely put there to help decompose the remains 
as well as to help covering up any smell. Oh, you mean like lime, like the fruit lime, or not like limestone, right? Like lye. You know how lye... Oh, lye! So, I don't get it, but some people say lye, some people say lime. Like in the show, I swear they were saying lime. I would assume lye, because it's like an acid. But honestly, I don't... I don't. Well, what is... I thought it wasn't lye. What is that? They just did it in a... Uh, American Horror Story shorts or like the horror stories not yeah. the horror story they just did it where they put that chemical all over I don't want to I don't think I think why though yeah lime is I think the white I think it I don't know lye is lye can be it's dissolved like in water and lime acid. is insoluble yeah so lime is more of like but you don't mean lime fruit, more... like lime powder? No, not the fruit. <laughs> I thought you meant fruit. I was like, what? Well, at first I thought you meant limestone. And then you said to make it not smell. And I was like, well, they don't put limestone, a rock, on someone to make them not smell. Chalk is one variety of limestone. So limestone comes in different varieties. Hmm. Yeah, so I'm still not getting the differences for um, dead bodies to use it for, but I think they're similar, but they're just different in the chemistry aspect. Got it. The lime in the ground was most likely put there to help decompose the remains while also covering any of the smell, you know, but Mm -hmm. it did the opposite, actually. Oh. The lime helped preserve some of the remains, so that was interesting. That's cool. Um, so this third set of remains were larger. They were kind of bundled up in layers of shower curtain and tarp. A plastic garbage bag was wrapped around the head separately. And the coroner could tell by the dirt and the remains that this body hadn't been in the ground as long as the others. And, uh, the remains also belonged to a male. And when examined closer, their characteristics, you know, the height and the weight, was a pretty good match on our friend Bert. Oh, no. Yeah. So, obviously, they couldn't exactly, you know, identify the the remains right away, but they kind of figured it was Bert. Shit. And Cabrera had kind of a theory as to why Bert had a plastic bag over his head because these remains were kind of wrapped differently than the other two. Mm-hmm. He said that he had the bag over his head probably because Dorothea poisoned or drugged Bert, but she didn't know if he was dead. So she was obviously dead set in putting him in the ground. So she put the bag on his head to suffocate him while being buried or as he was buried. Yeah. That's just fucking cold hearted, man. Like, yeah. Yeah. No. It's all cool. Grandma until you hear those facts. And then it's like, nope, you can, you can rot. You can rot. So, with Dorothea still on the run, investigators start to kind of 
you know, shift their focus, not shift, but aim their focus towards John McCauley, which was the tenant who lived on the second floor in the back room of Dorothea's apartment. Oh, yeah, um, I forgot about him. Yeah, so he was the one who was mentioned, you know, that was seen a lot around the boarding house and with Dorothea, so... And the only one, like, allowed on her floor. Yeah, allowed on the second floor. Wink, wink. So John was already on, um, you know, investigators' radar, but his name also kept popping up in tips that came from friends and neighbors. John seemed to cooperate during the digging, you know, at the boarding house. He was kind of hanging around, whatever. But he quickly became uncooperative, which led police to think he was lying about some things. So John McCauley was placed under arrest with the assumption he either knew something or was Dorothea's accomplice. So (laughs) it kind of blows my mind how they can quickly arrest John for thinking that he was lying and him being uncooperative, but they didn't see any reason to arrest or hold or at least watch Dorothea while they were digging up bodies in her yard. In her own back... In her yard. Sexism works both ways, and, like, bro, just because she's a woman doesn't mean she's not fucking capable of some horrible shit. So, like, we need to do a little bit better there. What the fuck? I'm, and just, like, what what proof do you have other than a fucking hunch? Like, that's not even how the justice system fucking works. You need at least, like, where's your piece of evidence that you're going to fucking bring to court? I'm really curious as to, like, what you're about to tell this jury uh, as to why you think he's a murderer. Because, like, him living on the same floor, as suspicious as it is, like, doesn't fucking cut it. I would, like, even as much as I hate to say it, even the evidence that you have against Dorothea right now, even with her running away, is not enough to fucking put her in jail. Like, I know as soon as you search the house, you'll probably find more, but, like, what you have right now, like, no, it's not, it's just, like, it's upsetting, I know, but, like, we have to do these things for a reason because that's just ridiculous. Maybe they thought... By they used arresting him as a scare tactic to get him to talk. That's the only thing that I can think of is like they wanted to make him feel like he was screwed and so he'd open his mouth about what he knew or what he helped with. So I don't know. That didn't work. <laughs> so, because uh, Cabrera was interviewing John McCauley and he was straight up, you know, asking. Uh, John if he killed anybody helped bury anybody and when he was asking when Cabrera was asking John these questions um, he just like burst out in laughter and denied everything yeah he just thought it was hilarious like because (laughs) what are you what do you fucking have on me bro it's like what are you gonna do about it you're literally holding on to my word and yeah. it's a fucky so yeah because of this obviously they could not hold john mccauley and he was released a few days later after his arrest Invest- does that mean sorry. sorry does that mean that they can arrest him again or they haven't tried him so technically yeah yeah, yeah. and they probably yeah. arrested him for something weird that yeah I think it's, yeah, the trying shit. Never mind. Yeah, and it's when you get tried. Yeah. The cool, uh... Habeas carpus or something like that. That's not. 
I, I, says the one law term I know. <laughs> sometimes we know words. Sometimes we know. <laughs> sometimes I fucking glitch, dude. Sorry. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, so exciting enough, I guess. At this point, investigators do get a break in the search for Dorothea. The taxi cab driver called into the police station or called investigators, and they were like, hey. He was like, hey. (laughs) Hey, I think I drove this person. I think you probably want to hear what I have to say. Oh, my God. So he told investigators that he picked Dorothea up, drove her to the West Sacramento area to a place or a bar place restaurant bar called tiny's where she had a few drinks she was only in there for about 15 minutes and so like the taxi cab waited for her i guess she asked him to he then drove her to stockton which is south of sacramento and from this information investigators kind of pieced together that she was heading south and they figured out that she took a bus south to los angeles So this was helpful information, Um, although they still didn't know where Dorothea was headed, um, you know, like if if she was just going to keep going south to Mexico or what. But it was still helpful information. All the while, investigators keep unearthing evidence and bodies from Dorothea's yard. Ew. We're still on the third day of the investigation, y'all. fucking just let her walk away, man. It's gonna get me this whole episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A fourth excavation site had begun, and about... Wow. Yeah. Sorry. It's okay. Uh, about five feet under the ground was another body wrapped in a sheet. So, obviously, we are starting to see some simula- similarities in the way these bodies were buried... They were all wrapped in some sort of sheeting, except for the first set of remains that were found in the garden area. Yeah. And this is kind of important to note because Cabrera mentioned how this kind of gave the impression that maybe these remains were buried in more of a hurry. A lot of and most of the remains were also dressed very similar, either wearing boxer shorts or a nightgown of some sort. Yeah, because you had said at this point we have found both male and female corpses, right? Correct. Damn. There was a lot of duct tape used on, you know, the wrappings and such. And then we have a fifth excavation site that had begun. And uh, this one was under where the patio had been. So when they removed the patio, you know, under it, they found a fifth body wrapped in a sheet, in a bed sheet. Ew, she just builds all over. Ew. Mm. Every day that goes by, investigators are finding more bodies, yet receiving no information or leads on Dorothea's whereabouts. Dorothea, where are you? How far could a 59-year-old woman travel? And, like, apparently she's a very impressionable old woman. Like, everyone who sees her is like, oh, my God, I saw this cute old grandma walking down the street. Like, where the fuck you at? 
<laughs> where are you oh my gosh <sighs> dorothea so cabrera starts to also search for more evidence throughout dorothea's apartment again because that first time that detectives went over um they kind of just walked through her apartment briefly they kind of took note of a couple things remember there was a pill vial there is a credit card found on the floor with someone else's name so cabrera takes another look around and in dorothea's kitchen he finds a small manila envelope in this envelope were checks that belonged to other people um blank ones you know bank mm-hmm. statements social security checks that belonged to various people there is an ID with Dorothea's photo, but it had the name Betty Palmer on it. Ooh. Yeah. So she Cabrera, never stopped her ways. Yeah. Uh-uh. And I think in part one we mentioned how she changed her name a few times, and I was like, oh yeah, because she she definitely took on some identities. Um, yeah, and she was involved in a lot of fucking like scams. Yeah. So Cabrera thinks he can use these items to kind of start to maybe identify some of these victims because at this point they're still unidentified. These items also solidified the fact that Dorothea was able to forge and steal identities to steal money. So this is a great find, obviously. Yeah. And Cabrera continues to walk through the house for evidence and he kind of walks by a book sitting on, like, a counter or something. Mm-hmm. And it's a book that has to do with, co- it's called, like, Commonly Prescribed Drugs, A Guide to Their Uses, and whatever, <sighs> their administrations. Oh. He's like, huh, okay. Kind of looks mm-hmm. at it, and he moves on. I mean, like, she ha- she is a nurse, but still, yeah. that's not, like, a very... um casual it's not casual reading you could say no 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 even for a nurse i mean i don't know i guess for a nurse okay but that's not what she was using it for okay that's not what she was using it for (laughs) so he returns to dorothea's bedroom and sees the familiar pill vial that had the blue pills in them that he noticed the last time Mm mm-hmm He also notices that in Dorothea's dresser drawer, some blue pill capsules that that had been uh, (laughs) pulled apart (laughs) with nothing in them. So he starts doing the math. He knows Dorothea has a past with drugging people. He just found a book on prescriptions in her home. And these blue pills that are torn apart are obviously sketchy. Yeah. This was another significant significant find and it also secured motive and method on behalf of Dorothea. The middle room in Dorothea's apartment, um I believe it was just kind of like another bedroom. It had a day bed in it and under the bed was a couple of rugs, area rugs. And I don't know why Cabrera took notice to the rugs. It was mentioned that they were, you know, one was laying on top of one another. Like, they were kind of laid out weird and layered. So he lifts the rugs up and he immediately gets a stench of, like, bodily fluid. (laughs) Death, basically. In the house? To be, to say the the correct terms, 
petrified body fluid. <gasps> he said he could literally see an outline in the dried <gasps> petrobo- petrified body fluid of, like, the shape of a human in a fetal position. I think I just broke. (laughs) So it kind of seemed like Dorothea would fucking kill her tenants in this day bedroom, her middle room, and let them sit there or lay there until it was time to bury them. I I think I just broke. Okay. Okay. That's fine. Ooh. Ugh. At least once she did that. (laughs) I don't know. People would complain about this stench to to Dorothea because she was the landlord and other tenants noticed it. But she would just blame it on the sewage drains and people believed her. It's an old house. (laughs) I'm like, I just think about... um... Like, especially in, like, New York or somewhere. Like, how many times does that happen? And it's, um, it, it, it's not that. <laughs> okay, maybe not New York. Sorry, I'm being biased New York. I don't think we have a listener there. But just, like, imagine how many times in life that has happened and it's not that. But the tenant goes, oh, it's... It's... <laughs> but it's that. Oh. But it's that. How many times have we unknowingly smelled a dead body and it's just... Huh. Yeah. Maybe once or twice. I think I have in a wall once. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... At this point, there's really only one small patch of an area in the yard that hadn't been dug up yet. Dug up yet. So they start to dig in this area. About five feet in, another body is uncovered. And this is body Dude. number six. She doesn't, like... She really wanted to fertilize that motherfucking ground with fucking dead bodies. Holy shit. What would she have done when she, like, ran out of space? I don't know. Well, I don't, you'll see, maybe, because... Oh, sorry. I don't want to know. I don't want to So know. what's strange about... That was a rhetorical sorry. question, Sarah. My bad. <laughs> sorry, sorry. It's okay. No, I mean, I do want to know, but I... My soul doesn't. Yeah. So what's different and maybe strange about uh, body number six is that the remains were sitting up in a sitting position in the ground... But the remains had no head, no hands, <gasps> and no legs. Oh, that's... Okay, that's way different than... How... Do you even get a body to sit in a grave? I don't know if it's just the way they put them in there. If... The dude. Okay, do they ever find the head or the hands or the... No. And it was... I hate when that happens. Yeah. Sorry. It's Okay. It's my least favorite thing. It's just, I'll, I'll touch on the theory about why maybe some limbs were missing in, later, I think, when I talk about the victims. Um, or maybe I'll just say it now. So, I think Cabrera mentioned, uh, you know, an- another little theory of his is that this may have been one of her first or earlier victims 
because she may have attempted to, she thought cutting off limbs would make the disposal easier. Um, You know, she possibly took the body parts and disposed of them in a body of water or whatever. Or I would even think it's like more of a... I don't know why she would be concerned with the identity because, of course, she gets homeless people. But that's very much like you take the hands and the head as a way for you to not identify someone. So I don't know if maybe that's what she was trying to think. But obviously, for your first kill, one, you're nervous. You have no, not like I've killed anyone, but you just like have no idea what to anticipate afterwards. So I'm sure she was nervous and paranoid and doing all of these things. And then after the time passes and she's not caught, she's like, oh, I can do it again. And then keeps on and keeps on and just the... And you're so right. Like, the uh, missing head, hands, um, all of that is usually done to hide identity. So that very well could have been a part of it. So it's we never find out so yeah um that'll be left for us to wonder about shortly after body six had been um exhumed body number seven was exhumed i believe in that same kind of last area um it it was kind of unclear to me what day body six and seven were found on if it was like day three or four of the investigation um I, i might say at the timeline a little more in a second but um we're still not very far into the investigation you know with all this shit that has happened sometimes you think that like weeks can go by but it's been days so to identify the victims investigators looked um at a list of individuals who had received social security benefits at the address of the boarding house that's smart. Yeah, totally. Fucking like, good job. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm I like, like, wow. Damn, I wish I would have thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, damn. Actually, I should have. Good job. <laughs> you know what? You did something right. <laughs> so they were able to narrow the list down. You know, they were able to see if, you know, locate individuals saying like, yeah, they received checks here, but now they live in another place. They're alive or they're dead or like. So, I think they narrowed it down to about 13 names that were unaccounted for, that they didn't know, like, where they they were, what happened to them, and, yeah. So, that was just one method they kind of used to start narrowing down at least names, because they really, like, if people aren't reported missing, they have nowhere to start. That's man. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, I wouldn't even know how to... Yeah, because this case would wouldn't go? have been, been been blown open if it wasn't if, for fucking Judy and Bert. If Bert wasn't reported missing, yeah. So and it's literally because a social worker found him on the street. It's not even like it was something Bert was assigned to. It's literally just like by happenstance. Yeah, exactly. Judy randomly found Bert, and it's like such a twisted fate kind of thing but yeah. i mean just who knows how long it would have gone on if not you know they were able to identify two bodies by fingerprints and most of the others were identified by x-ray comparisons and i will touch um later kind of at the end on the victims and a little more details of who who they were mm-hmm. of course so 
finally in the investigation, we get a fucking break. We can catch a breath. An LAPD Los Angeles Police Department detective, Paul Bon Lutzow, gets a tip from a man who says he met Dorothea in a bar in Los Angeles. <gasps> She's fucking back to her ways in a fucking bar. This lady waits zero time. You're on like the most wanted list, aren't you? Like, okay, not most wanted, but, but I'm like, you're she, on some yeah, list. So by this point, she does have warrants out, I believe. Um, it's unclear as to when the warrants are issued, but obviously the- as they continue to dig up bodies and she's literally MIA. They- and the fucking <laughs> dumb bitch is still in California. Yeah. She didn't even think to get out of the motherfucking she, yeah, state. Yeah, she's fucking all of Homegirl, you are getting, mm. you're, she's slipping up. Yeah. You can tell either it's her age or she's getting way too confident in herself. She's way too confident. She she probably wants, slipping. or she knows she's going to get caught. She wanted like one last little thrill. Mm. I don't know. Some, like, I'm like, if I were her, bro, <laughs> what would I do? The uh, I'm just like the fucking balls on you, girl. I do not. I do not want to go down a dark alley with you on the other side. Uh uh-uh. uh. Uh uh. Oh, she's scary. What the fuck, Grandma? Ew. Ew. Yes. Okay. So this guy Paul says that Dorothea sat next to him at the bar and striked up a conversation. Yeah. But she was asking him like kind of hard-hitting specific questions about what he did for a living, if he was on social security. Oh, what's your income like? <laughs> Can I make it what's more your social obvious security for you? number? <laughs> this is ma- it okay if I murder you? <laughs> this man literally recognized Dorothea and was well aware of what was happening north of him in Sa- Sacramento. And oh. so I th- I don't really know how the night ended. He obviously didn't go home with her. He survived. I think he kind of just played it cool and shrugged her off. And later, immediately, you know, like, called the police, this investigator. He got the address of where Dorothea was staying. I think probably while they were at the bar or something. I don't know. Yeah. And so LAPD go to the Viking Motel. They knock on room 31. And a little old woman answered the door. (laughs) The detective asked, are you Dorothea Puente? Without hesitation, she says, well, yes, I am. Why is she so (laughs) cool about everything? Girl, freak out a little bit for me, please. It's unnerving. So she's placed into custody and arrested under the warrant or warrants that were out for her. Uh, So the nationwide manhunt or... Dorothea Hunt has ended. (laughs) Sacramento detectives flew down in a private jet to Los Angeles to get Dorothea in their custody and to transport her back to Sacramento. Um, I just, I don't know why I think the weirdest things are funny. Like, I just thought that they flew in, I mean, I get why they flew in a private jet, but the private jet was funded and sponsored by one of the local TV stations. (laughs) That they flew in. I just thought that was kind of funny. Like, the fucking state doesn't just... Whatever. Um, nope. So, lead it detective... Make way more... I'm sorry. The media probably, like, 
maybe got something out of it for doing that for sure it's just funny yeah. how media is so like oh you need a serial killer transported we got you yeah for an interview but um all we need are photos of you guys inside the private jet and and your soul with right our logo right behind line. you <laughs> Ugh, media you're weird you can send us a private jet at hey. redrumandredpodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. We will take a private jet if staff and fuel are also sponsored. Yes, and the jet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Clearly. I don't know. Out of staff and the jet fuel the jet. I would say by far is the most expensive part. You know what I also just added uh, to my watch list? I forgot what I saw it on, like, Prime or Hulu. or I was about to say Hulu. Um, the Jetsons. No, oh, I remember the Jetsons. Yeah, just to give that another go. Mm-hmm. Um, so, lead detective Cabrera said that Dorothea didn't really say much right away after getting into his custody but shortly after um you know getting back with the sacramento police maybe like when they're on the jet or something she just kind of quaintly said mr cabrera i'm sorry <laughs> because she ran away yeah, from him she ran, i mean a bad I was girl even gonna say like <laughs> okay cabrera as soon as she opened the door i'd be like whatever i'd be like bitch what the motherfucking <laughs> what you think you doing running away from me like that like, she's just like oops <laughs> she's like um i know it like two hours have passed by <laughs> but i just wanted to mention that i'm really sorry about the other day <laughs> So, Dorothea, Um, yeah, I wonder what the inside of her mind is like. I don't think it's a lava lamp, I can tell you that. I bet it's like, you know what I think it's like is um, popcorn popping. It's like boom, 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 boom. That's a good description. You know what? Yeah, I could see that. Mm -hmm. Pop, pop, pop. Yeah. The plane ride back to Sacramento was full of relief. Obviously, Cabrera was ecstatic about having... Dorothea in custody finally and he said something in the documentary like I walked her to her freedom and now I'm walking her away from her freedom (laughs) so he felt pretty good (laughs) but also like I know we obviously talked about it when we're talking about how he got a lot of shit for it but he also really Mm -hmm. did just take a lot of the blame like without I think he did do a good job of, it. like, saying, hey, I fucked up, yeah. and then he, he took, tried his best to make up for he it. He took responsibility. Know, so. The police department took responsibility, but him as a single person took a lot of the blame from, like, the media and stuff, and yeah. he handled it really well, so. Um, and he was able to catch her, so at the yeah. end of the day... And like I previously said, you're okay. that all fueled him <laughs> even harder to find this... Try and catch her. Yeah. Is it can I call her a bitch? <laughs> I mean I Find have been. Find this bitch. I have been, so we're all Who bitches. Am I? Okay. <laughs> um You're a bitch, I'm a bitch, we're all bitches. Mm-hmm. If you're offended by that, bye. You're a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so even though they finally have Dorothea, detectives still don't have um cause of deaths of the remains yet. There aren't any witnesses 
that had seen Dorothea do anything or any witnesses that Dorothea had confided in about any kind of murderous plans. Mm-hmm. So the evidence is still in the works. You know, they don't have much besides the remains. So again, kind of talking about the similarities on how the remains were wrapped and dressed. Um, Cabrera, he was really involved in the missing persons unit. So he had a lot of experience with just like the knowledge surrounding that. And so for whatever reason, you know, his knowledge caused him to put out a bolo, a be on the lookout to surrounding agencies for John Doe's that had similar characteristics on how they were found, wrapped, dressed. Um, I think he was just maybe on the lookout for more potential victims that were not buried at the boarding house. Yeah. Um, And it's a good thing that he did that because shortly after he put his bolo out, Sutter County Police, which Sutter County is kind of north of Sacramento, not very far, they contacted Cabrera and was like, hey, we have a John Doe that matches the manner of your descriptions. So it turns out, New Year's Day 1986, so two years before this, a fisherman came across a coffin-shaped box on the bank of the Sacramento River. Inside the box was a corpse. Oh, fuck. It had been a John Doe until they were able to identify the remains and link them to Dorothea. Shit. And just, I can't imagine the poor fisherman, like, imagine just taking a casual walk and you find a coffin-shaped box. Mm-hmm. Like, the Worst. remains were wearing boxer shorts. Oh, just like the other victims. Right. The remains would, I think, eventually they were able to match fingerprints. And they belonged to a man named Everson Gilmuth. Gilmuth. Mm-hmm. And remember, he didn't get identified until, until he was linked to Dorothea. After. So it was about, it was somewhere in between two and three years. Because it's yeah. the end of the year, you know. It was about three years, I think. Damn. Um, so, Everson Gilmuth happened to be Dorothea's boyfriend at one point. <gasps> who she had met while she was serving her three years that I had mentioned in part one. When she had gotten sentenced to five for drugging and forging and robbing people. She only served her three Apparently, she started corresponding with Everson while she was in jail. Like pen pals? Yes, they became pen pals. He was a widow. He was lonely. And I think becoming pen pals to Go. What time is this? Don't. don't, Okay. I, I get that probably dating websites aren't a thing right now. But, like, go to a fucking bar. I, I don't care. You don't, like... What the well, he, fuck? Well, I think it was mentioned that he kind of picked up this hobby of becoming pen pals with inmates. I don't know. It's, you know, one of those people. But I, uh... as whenever Dorothea got released after her three years, Everson was there at the jail to pick her up. Wow. They opened up a joint bank account immediately. Wow. 
Also, pretty immediately, Dorothy apparently kills Everson. Yeah, okay, but yeah, that's, see, that that right there is exactly why you don't do that, honey. She continues cashing his benefit checks in, while also writing his family and friends under the impression that he was still alive. Fucking twisted. Like, that shit pisses me off. See you next Tuesday. (laughs) If you catch my drift. What the fuck, bro? Like, it, ugh, just using him that entire time. Fucking sick. Yeah, sick. And he's probably, like, just pouring his heart out about his butthurt feelings about his widowness. Ugh. So, so, at some point after, or, you know, at this point in this situation, Dorothea hires the help of a handyman, Ismael Flores, or Ishmael Flores, to do some work on her home. Um, but she she kind of gave him a bonus to do some extra handiwork for her. Uh-huh. She hired him to build a box. That was six feet by three feet. (laughs) So a coffin. She asked him to build a coffin. And he just fucking, like, did that, okay, no questions asked. Like, hey, what are you going to use this box for? Yeah, I don't think so. Um, Do you want me to shape it like a coffin for you? Just a regular rectangular I don't know what was going through his mind or what his head is like because... Please don't tell me that he's the one that ends up in the coffin. No. A few days... He apparently, you know, built the box for her and then came back a few days later to help her transport the box to a storage (gasps) unit. Oh. But on the way to the storage unit, while passing by the Sacramento River, Dorothea is like, you know what, Ishmael? Never mind. Let's pull over right here. This is good. Let's just dump the box here. Part of this handyman's payment was a red Ford pickup truck, which Dorothea had claimed that belonged to her boyfriend in L.A. who no longer wanted it. This red Ford pickup truck belonged to Everson Gilmuth. They drove his red Ford pickup truck to transport the box. I'm a little upset at Ishmael for not, like, connecting the dots there. Yeah, so I will just note that there was... I don't know, a source said that as kind of a bonus or benefit for helping her, he gifted him or he paid her with, paid him with the truck. But I also read that she offered to sell it for him, to him for a cheap price. So I'm not sure which one it was, but she was obviously trying to get rid of it. Yeah. Um, Oh, he didn't think he hey why is this box suddenly so heavy hey why are you getting rid of a box that i made for you that's shaped like yeah no? Ish- ishmael flores my- ishmael would ultimately I, I... claim he did not know that human remains were in the box <laughs> And he was actually granted immunity if he testified against Dorothea in court, which he did. Ishmael, I need you to go see a doctor. Maybe check what's going on in that brain of yours. Because um, either you're lying through your teeth, which I'm pretty... It's 
pretty obvious you probably are. Either that or you have an IQ of like three and I'm really worried <laughs> for your mental health. You need to go get that checked out. Um, <laughs> just throwing that out there. I can go get some help. I just care about you, you know. Referrals. <laughs> Uh, I mean, at least he, like, said stuff to help her get in jail, but, um, okay. Ugh. So, this is now the eighth victim involved in this case, and that has been linked to Dorothea. We'll find another death now that was linked to Dorothea that kind of came to light after these remains were being found. So... Further back in 1982, Ruth Monroe rented a space in an apartment Dorothea owned. You know, this is pre-boarding house days before she lived in the blue Victorian boarding house. Mm -hmm. Um, It's unclear. I did read sources that at that time she was kind of running another boarding house situation. Um, So, but I'm a little unclear on that if, like, that's what we're talking about now potential that there could be like a number of victims out there that we don't even know about right so um before she got sent to jail for those three years remember or when she did after she was released part of her probation or her parole was that she couldn't run a boarding house and i think it's because she she previously did (gasps) um so whether this was in a boarding house situation or just an apartment situation in 1982 ruth monroe rented a space in an apartment that dorothea owned and i think it was a roommate kind of thing i'm i'm not positive though she was a friend and business partner of dorothea's she was also into nursing and healthcare. i think she previously worked in um pharmacy Yeah, that's probably how she, like, drew her in. Yeah. She even opened up a joint bank account with Dorothea. Why do people do? Don't, even with your spouses, don't do it. Not even with your mother, don't do it. Like, just don't do it. Don't do it. Doesn't matter. Just don't do it. Doesn't matter. Just don't do it. (laughs) If I didn't have a joint bank account with Blake, I'd be in the negatives. If I didn't have my mom's bank account, I'd be fucking dead. But, I mean, say la vie. It's neither your case nor mine. This is fucking Dorothy's case. And in Dorothy's case, you don't fucking do it, bitch. Unless you're poor like us. You don't fucking do it. Good point. But also, don't do it. Shortly after moving in with Dorothea... Ruth's health started to decline, Um, and this was kind of after Dorothea started to feed Ruth her creme de menthe cocktails on the daily. Oh. So, Dorothea would give Ruth these fucking cocktails, and after, you know, a few days of taking them, she (laughs) fucking... Sorry, it's not funny. (laughs) She just went downhill, and um, one day, Ruth passed away in the apartment (gasps) to an apparent overdose. Fuck, dude. She overdosed on codeine and acetaminophen, which is Tylenol. I mean, she was was feeling fucking good when she went, but fuck, man. 
There was kind of an anomaly found during the autopsy that threw the coroner off. In Ruth's stomach was a minty-like substance. Although they didn't think much of it because they literally deemed her death a suicide. <gasps> that minty substance in her stomach was that cream de menthe cocktail. But they didn't Fuck, fucking know that. Man. So the cream, the cream did a whatever, the meth, whatever. Cream de the cream of Della meth. <laughs> it was fucking like, obviously it's drugs, but so what was it? It was like a, okay. she just. So yeah, I can explain it for like those who don't know. Cream de menthe is a um, liqueur. It's like a oh. green minty liqueur that so it has alcohol in it, but you like can a also whipped cream that she put some drugs in. No. <laughs> so, but you can also mix it in cocktails with other alcohol to give that mint flavor. You know, if you were to oh. do like a if you were Girl like Scout that. cookie shot or like a thin mint, fucking Bobby's version of a thin mint. Mm-mm. Ruth's family actually suspected Dorothea had something to do with Ruth's death because oh. prior to Ruth passing away, she expressed some concerns to her family members. Oh. Um, she, on the phone one day, told them that she felt like she was dying and she told them about the cream de menthe cocktails that she was being fed. And um, I didn't write this down, but in the documentary, it even mentioned how one of her family members, like a nephew or a grandson, Mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of like a younger male, went to visit her and said that she was like incapacitated, out of it, like alive, but not there and um i'm pretty sure it was like that next morning dorothea calls (gasps) ruth's family and was like something terrible happened to ruth uh i she's she's dead i think she killed herself she basically like dorothea was the one who kind of made it i guess created the idea of the suicide because One of the reasons why Ruth moved in with Dorothea was because her husband, um, and I'm so sorry, I didn't get the details on this, he was super, I I read that he was super sick, and so I don't Mm. know if he was like in a nursing home or something, and so she moved in with Dorothea, or I don't know if he was actually like, if he had passed away, Yeah, but Dorothy was like, Ruth was super depressed about her husband, and she just couldn't take it. Yeah. So she was, she was made excuses for sure. And I, it, it's just crazy how, like, I'm sure that the family saw, like, the rapid deterioration that happened. Exactly. Between that time, and there was just, like, nothing that they could physically do about it, because I'm just... I know. And the fact that Ruth would even mention the creme de menthe cocktails to her family yeah. is important because it it shows you that Ruth knew why she was getting sick. She started to yes. go downhill as soon as she was getting fed those cocktails, and it only got worse. 
Oh. So, at the time of Ruth's death, they... Ruth's family pressed for further investigation, but at the time, it led nowhere. It was deemed a suicide, and nothing else came from it. Until these remains are being found in Dorothy's yard, Dorothea's yard. Yeah. Um, they make this link again to this case back from 1982, and Dorothea ends up being suspected on having something to do with Ruth's death because, you know, the remains in Dorothea's yard all have links to Dorothea. And now this other woman who died around Dorothea has a link to her, but, you know, it was suicide. So, anyways, Ruth's death yeah. was changed and ruled as a hom- homicide. Homicide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And obviously, Dorothea being the main suspect. So now, Dorothea's victim count is up to nine. The body count and the circumstances of their relationships with Dorothea and the witness accounts pretty much all provide for circumstantial evidence. There were some small pieces of trace evidence in some of the remains, such as... So, I believe Ruth Monroe was the only victim that they could get, they had a cause of death on. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess maybe looking back at on it, on her autopsy, um, there were traces of Dalmain, which is used by dentists for pain. And... Oh. Dorothea had a prescription for that. Um, it's I'm unclear if Dalbane was found in any of the other remains or if they were even fucking found in Ruth's and I'm getting it confused. But it was mm-hmm. mentioned. Yeah. Um, so they don't have a whole lot to put Dorothy's hands on anything directly. So when the trial starts, you know... It's it's mostly circumstantial. So, also by this point, all victims are identified. Um, sorry, I think I meant to mention that a little earlier, but um, and so they're all identified. Like I mentioned, they all have a link to Dorothea, but no direct evidence. Yeah, I was like speaking yeah. ahead of myself. Prosecution could easily prove that Dorothea was a thief and forged shit but proving she was a murderer was going to be just a little harder yeah the circumstantial evidence was good but it was still circumstantial Mm -hmm. although the evidence situation is a little rocky dorothea's motive was clear you know um at least the motive that the prosecution was going with Mm-hmm. She fucking drugged people and robbed them. She abused people. She took advantage of people. So what is interesting, though, is that from obviously what we saw throughout her interrogations and interviews, she would remain calm and claim her innocence. Throughout the trial, she denied everything and anything 
It's just the fact that she stays so calm through it all Mm -hmm. freaks me out. It also was said that she never expressed any remorse for the victims and had always claimed, or I don't know if she always claimed it, but um, she claimed that she was set up, basically. (laughs) So... She was labeled a serial killer. Eight, seven <laughs> bodies me. just magically happened to fall into my backyard. I don't know how that happened. And, yeah, I just put a patio over one. And and I just happened to have an old roommate that magically died. And another old boyfriend of mine that Ugh. magically died. And all these people around me just magically dying. I can't <laughs> help it. Uh, she was being charged with nine counts of murder. She pled not guilty. Mm-hmm. The jury took about 24 days to deliberate. And wow, they that's en- a pretty long time. Yeah, so they actually ended up being a little deadlocked. Oh, shit. Um, they fucking took their 24 days, and then they basically went to the judge and were like, We can't. One juror can't decide, and we're at a point where no one's mind is going to change. Here you go. It caused really high tensions in the courtroom. Um, you know, throughout those 24 days, prosecution started to get a little nervous. They're like, oh my God, what if, you know, what if she gets away with it? The defense team were starting to maybe get a little hopeful. They started yeah. to see a light, like maybe Dorothea would walk away from this. But Dorothea ended up being convicted of three out of the nine murders. Oh. Because... So did that guy end up changing his mind? Um, so what I think happened is that they couldn't decide they were deadlocked and they gave it to the judge to decide. And um, by the power of the courts, she was able to be convicted. Oh. So, you know... She was being charged with nine counts of murder, and they have to decide on each count individually. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure at what, what part, what murder they were deadlocked on, if it was a few or all, but she did be, she was convicted of three of the murders because the jury couldn't decide on the other six. So I mm-hmm. think maybe they were deadlocked on six, or got maybe, it, it. yeah, I don't know. It wasn't, like, everyone. Yeah. So, the three victims that that Dorothea got convicted for their murders were Leona Carpenter, Benjamin Fink, and Dorothy Miller. And um, that Dorothy Miller name might sound a little familiar because her name was on that that credit card. card. Fuck, dude. And I, I'm still going to get to um, the victims and their details. But in 1993, Dorothea was sentenced to two life sentences, which she served until her death on March 27th, 2011. Oh, damn. She was 82 when she passed away, and she claimed her innocence throughout her whole life, her imprisonment, everything. Um. So, she gave an interview with, like, a reporter 20 years after her arrest, and that's when she claimed that she was set up. So, I don't know if she claimed that she was set up throughout her whole, like, ordeal, or if that was just something she mentioned later on, who knows. But, 
um, before her death in 2004, she released a cookbook from prison. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. That's why I told you to take note of that recipe thing you mentioned. I Um, want to buy it, but I don't. (laughs) It's called Cooking with a Serial Killer. Wow, (laughs) she would. I kind of want to get it. I kind of want to get it too. Fuck. Uh, it, Is it on Amazon? I haven't checked, but <laughs> it consists of an interview with Dorothea, a, a lengthy one, it said. 50 recipes and pieces or pictures of pieces of prison art made by Dorothea. So there's Who that. Do contributions go to. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. That's She's dead, know. so. Um, I don't know. Yeah, and it's not like, well, maybe her adopted kids. I don't know. Uh, her adopted kids or kids that she adopted. Never mind. Yeah. I'm going to go to hell for that. Okay. <laughs> Attitudes towards Dorothea, you know, throughout her life were pretty mixed. Many of the community members praised her for helping the vulnerable populations. Um, Donald Dorfman, Dorothea's attorney... <laughs> Apparently was a friend, but described her as generous, outgoing, and wanted to help the needy. Uh Many of the members of the community saw her in the same light and struggled to think she could, like, commit such crimes. And this was kind of, like, earlier on in the investigation. I think many people's attitudes changed or shifted as more bodies were discovered and more information came to light. Um, that's just like too much for you to kind of ignore yeah (laughs) because her Dorothea's friend who I had mentioned was a local reporter as well who reported on the case oh Um, yeah wasn't she gonna be like I'm gonna get you out of here and prove your innocence she knew Dorothea couldn't have done it she wanted to prove her innocence but with her reporting skills and her attitudes in mind where they were shifted as well so she was happy with Dorothea's conviction and you know the victim's families were happy for her conviction as well they were a little confused or upset as to her only getting the three out of the nine but they were happy that she was ultimately convicted so um Dorothea's victims had little or no social ties, and they were often referred to to the boarding house by social workers or social agencies. This boarding house was kind of a last resort for many harder-to-handle elderly or disadvantaged people. While living in the boarding house, Dorothea would read her tenants' mail before giving it to them, um Ew. that being said you know it didn't really say this but i'm sure she would fucking sometimes probably not even give people their mail i yeah i could definitely see her doing something like that she would poison her tenants or drug them by serving them drinks or food laced with shit after they'd knock out or be paralyzed or whatever, she'd take their money and any kind of government or benefit checks they received. She would steal and forge checks. Um, apparently, there was a bar that Dorothea would go to to cash these checks because you could do that back then. 
And that was obviously less risky to do than going to a bank and trying to, like, cash a check that you forged. So, okay. I guess there's a reason why they stopped doing that. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I think so. She may have had something to do with that, maybe. (laughs) She would give each of her tenants a stipend from the money she collectively stole from them. Wow. And would keep the rest for herself. Some of the tenants resented Dorothea for taking their mail and money, and some others praised her for her small acts of kindness. What the fuck? Yeah. Mixed signals. So I'll talk about the victims now. Um, I'm not going to... I'm not naming them in any kind of order. Um, Mm -hmm. And again, I do have more information on some than others, but um, here we go. So, Everson Gilmuth was 77. He was Dorothea's boyfriend at uh, some point who she had met while she was in prison. His remains were found in a wooden box by fishermen on New Year's Day in 1986 on an area of the Sacramento River. And he wouldn't be identified for about three years after he was found. Ruth Monroe was 61. In 1982, Ruth rented a space in an apartment Dorothea owned, and she passed away in the apartment to an overdose. It was, you know, deemed suicide, and then we find out later on that Dorothea basically had something to do with it, and this came to light when all the bodies were being dug up in her yard, so. Yeah. Um, Ruth, you know, her body was the one, she was the one victim whose body was basically intact and probably had a proper burial because at the time she passed away from natural causes slash suicide. So um, mm-hmm. that's why her body was also one of the only ones that they had a definite cause of death on and they just had more evidence with her. So sad. Ruth was described as kind and loving. Leona Carpenter was 78. Her remains were the first that were found in Dorothea's backyard on November 11th. So it was her uh, femur bone that was first pulled out of the ground. And she was one of the three that Dorothea got convicted for. Mm. Alvaro, a.k.a. Bert Alberto Gonzalez Montoya, was 51. He disappeared while under Dorothea's care. He was mentally disabled and had schizophrenia. His remains were found in Dorothea's backyard. His social worker, Judy Moise, expressed a little bit of guilt about his death because she Mm. placed him in Dorothea's home for help, and she regrets not knowing better when it came to Dorothea. Judy. I know. She just, like, it as as fucked up as it is, Judy really has to look at it as a, like, really twisted, fucked up way of doing her job. Because if it hadn't been for her caring about Bert and putting Bert in that situation, like, as fucked up as it sounds, like, it it's really hard to say how many more homeless, mentally ill, how many of those people would have gone missing. And we just, 
would have never known, and it probably would have taken until fucking Dorothea's fucking death of at 80 of natural causes some 20 odd years later for us to like even realize it's just like it it's fucked up and it's just like you have to think you did nothing wrong you only did your best and in the end like it's you just have to think of all the lives that you saved because you did save lives right and like you caring about Bert really did something and I'm sure for Bert it did something as well knowing that like there was at least someone out there for him in the I know. end. And in the documentary, there were cute, like, homemade videos that um, somebody was filming of Judy kind of on the street talking with Bert. I, I think, you know, they probably filmed their interactions for s- research or who knows. Um, yeah. And in the, in the videos, you know, she's just asking Bert basically how she can help him. Would he be happier if she did this? If he, if they did this, you know, would he be willing to do this if she helped him? And it's, they're just like so sweet to watch. Cause she's just genuinely, gen, like genuinely wants to help him. Yeah. You like Judy, I know, I know like the, guilt is there but you did nothing wrong like you were just trying to help him and at the end of the day you you helped more than i think you realized she actually did everything right you did which she really did so it's it's just it's the world is fucked up sometimes and even when we do every everything right it's not enough and like i i really don't understand why and it's so messed up but it's just something that happens and it's like really fucking unfortunate but I mean, it it happens for a reason, and thankfully, you were there, and you were able to care, because there were obviously a lot of other instances where, I mean, not to say that those other people didn't care, because obviously there were people out there, but it just, like, didn't work out, and it was your moment to fucking pop up and help out. (laughs) Everyone in that case, I don't know. I'm editing some of that out. <laughs> like, period. Oh, Where my wanna? Dorothy Miller was 64. She was a veteran. Um, she served as a nurse in World War II. She wow. saw some shit. She did suffer from a little bit of PTSD afterwards. Oh. And she did become an alcoholic kind of in her veteran or later years um she was living with her family like her her um either daughter and son and their spouse and her grandchild but it became too much because of or because of yeah dorothy's um alcoholism so she ended up getting help from the va and around thanksgiving of 1987 dorothy was staying in a va hospital in texas when she vanished her family never saw or heard from her again what the fuck yeah so apparently she it's unclear what happened when dorothy leaves this va hospital um what seems to happen is that she ditched it and sought refuge in a boarding home in california I don't know how she got to California or why. That's, I, fuck, dude, because there's no way that Dorothy is going to fucking confess to what actually, well, obviously, I mean, she's dead right now, but 
there's it's just there's no way of us to know yeah because no one's she never said anything about anything admit to it fucking bitch man sorry i you shouldn't speak ill of the dead but she deserved that one dorothy was found in dorothea's backyard and um this was only about a year i mean not only a year is a long time but this was a year after she vanished from texas and she was identified by her fingerprints she went missing from texas and was found buried in a yard in california that's what freaks me out so much when people go missing is you have no idea where they are. Her family, were they were so perplexed. Her, um, Dorothy's granddaughter was featured in the, in the documentary and she was just like, what the fuck? How? Like, How? You, my grandma goes missing from Texas. She's found buried in a yard in California. This woman murders her and steals her money. Like, Jesus Christ. So, uh, Dorothy is described by her granddaughter as loved, wanted, and missed. And she never deserved the ending she received, obviously. No. It's so sad because all of these people have lived such a long life only to meet and end like that. It's just like, bro, let them let them die peacefully. Like they only got like less than twenty years left. Yes, tops. Oh. And Dorothy Miller was also one out of the three um, murders that Dorothea was convicted for. Benjamin Fink was fifty-five, aka Ben. Ben was living at the boarding house, and apparently one day or one night. He was super drunk and causing a ruckus around the boarding house. So Dorothea kind of walked up to him and uh, grabbed him and walked him upstairs to the second floor, telling the other tenants that she was she was just going to go make Ben better. Ew. He wasn't seen again. Ew. I really know. I don't fucking like it's it's so funny how at the beginning I was like, haha, this is so oh, that's so funny. She drinks vodka and orange juice. juice. I drink vodka and orange juice and now I'm like, no bitch, get the fuck away from me. I don't even want to call you grandma anymore, you cold hearted mother sucker. Ew. 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 It's just the total lack of remorse. I mean, fuck, man. People really take to childhood trauma differently. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's a moral of this story. (laughs) Wow, she just had some real different thoughts about it than I did. If y'all are ever curious about your childhood trauma, you can take the Adverse Childhood Experiences survey. Like, just Google it and it'll pop up. And, um, oh, we'll fucking link it down below. Yeah, I'll do that. And it just, it yeah. measures, um, your, your traumas as a child and it gives you a score at the end. And, and, uh, yeah, we all suffer traumas and usually the more traumas, the higher risk for, uh, adverse and risky behavior into adulthood <laughs> as well as health issues. And, um, so everyone handles it differently, but, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, she just she just really took it up a notch there, pal. She, I think she needs something a little bit deeper than therapy. <laughs> End of the day, <laughs> just, uh, just throwing it out there. 
Yeah, no. She'd probably just play along and play it cool the entire therapy ew. sesh. Oh, <laughs> I that's what free. I didn't know. Any, ew, ah. ew. I want to slap you across your grandma-looking face. Oh yeah. Ew. Uh. And also, Ben was found in Dorothea's backyard and identified by fingerprints. James Gallup was 62. He had had brain surgery previously and uh, was actually living at the boarding house while he recovered from his brain surgery. Holy cow. During his recovery, Dorothea would keep him sedated He even complained to people that he was being pressured and forced to sign over his social security checks. And after he was, you know, kind of complaining to people is when he vanished. He was found in the backyard. I know. He was found in the backyard and identified by x-ray comparisons from uh, the x-rays that were taken from his brain surgery. Fuck, man. Vera Faye Martin was 64. She was the sixth body found in Dorothea's backyard. Um, And remember the odd or different thing about this, about her remains, were that... Oh, just kidding. This is something else. Sorry. Um, Something weird about the discovery of her remains was that the dirt around where her legs were was formed into the shape of a bridge. So, like, underground, the area around her legs was, like, a bridge shape. And so detectives or coroners say that this could be because she was possibly buried alive and was kicking her legs which condensed the dirt around her and caused it to form in that bridge shape. Stop. I really wish you didn't tell me that, man. I know, I'm sorry. But fuck, bro. Like, I'm, like, every fact you tell me, I'm just, you're stripping off every bit of humanity I see in this fucking woman. I know, it's like, woman. It, it's like no two cases are really the same, although they're all very similar, and... The brutality. It's just like, it, it doesn't get better, like, in the slightest at all. It just keeps getting worse and it, worse. It escalates, man. I mean, like... It may not escalate in the sense of you're seeing, and I think it's making a little bit of sense to me, and, like, I really think she was just fucking freaked out and paranoid and, like, did the dismemberment, and then she got chill as a fucking cucumber and realized, like, no one's gonna notice me. Yeah, I don't need to dismember them. I can just pour concrete over it. (laughs) I can just torture them in other ways before and outside of, like, the fucking death it's just like oh man fuck that that fact is gonna stick with me for a second shit man and then to be there watching that and you're just okay with that and you go on with your life and then you act chill as a cucumber when they are on top of that soil motherfucking digging into the ground girl not enough therapy in the world to help you out. I don't know what the fuck is wrong with you because that is just like a total like devoid of any and all emotion. Yeah. You're not even freaking out. Cuz I I don't know. I was just listening to like 
morbid, honey. <laughs> we'd, we'd love Hi. to talk to you one day. We'd love we to love talk to you, you one day, but they uh, they just did um, an amazing. I know it's amazing because they just made top five, so I don't need to brag about them. You've already heard of it, but they just did a episode on the Hillside Strangler, and I already forgot the motherfucker's name. Doesn't even matter, but I it's like Kenny or whatever talks about how when he is like hearing the facts from one of the cops like even this motherfucker gets scared like even he starts freaking out and there's a slight moment where you see in his eyes like there's a fear there's a panic and for you to tell me that this fucking 59 year old or however old she is old lady is just sitting there and all of these facts and all of these like um, like all the shit coming up about the case is coming and she's just like no I'm cool. I didn't do anything like dog. You're mm. cold hearted. Mm-hmm. Like total like made out I of stone, a, dude. I don't think there's a soul in there at this point. Right. What the fuck? And she just I'm going to go get some coffee. <laughs> She's I'm like girl deserves a fucking Oscar for that award. Right. Holy shit. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Uh, Vera Faye Martin was also identified by x-ray comparisons. Betty Palmer was 78. Betty was the corpse uh, found with no head, no hands, and no legs. Betty remains were set apart from the others because of this. Um, And like I said, could have been one of the earlier victims... Um, she could have been dismembered to hide identity. It's unknown. Um, you know, but she was also found in Dorothea's backyard and was identified using x-ray comparison from a hip replacement she had gotten. Yeah. Oh, that's just so... It's like you don't know that that hip replacement is going to be something that fucking is used to identify you, you know? Like, fuck, dude. So those were the nine victims. Um, I'll talk a little bit about the boarding house now, (laughs) where she stands. Um, Apparently... She's still standing? Yeah. I mean, I know it's powdered baby blue, but come on. Well, it's painted, I think, a different color now. So it was sold in 2011 as a fixer-upper. I think it was on auction for a few years um, because it did get sold as an auction and okay sorry 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 low-key that would be a great great hg tv show oh yeah fixer upper serial killer (laughs) yeah i mean i think even ghost adventures went there and did a ghost adventures episode at the boarding house and watch us re-renovate this house while we tell you about the murder that happened inside well i would watch the shit out of that show (laughs) trademark trademark don't take pe- it. I already thought of it. Don't take well, it. Well, I don't know, Kristen, because the couple who bought the house were obviously aware of its history. So aside from just renovating the property, they started offering tours of it <laughs> as well. Yeah, but I'm talking about w- during the renovation process, we go in and we'd be like, hey, we're going to film you renovating it. You're going to make money off of it. And we're just going to talk about the little murders that oh, happen and yeah, then at yeah, the yeah. end and then at the end you plug your tours eh, eh. tm no one fucking take it i already thought of it red rum and red wine's doing it if we ever become successful which at this point you know we'll successful see successful red it, rums 
Yes, 20%. Trademark, though. You can't take it. I already did it. The proceeds from the tours given at the home um, are actually, or were, I don't know if they're still going on, but they were donated to the Francis House Center, which is a nonprofit providing to those in need um, with a lot of focus on the homeless population. That's good. Um, That's what you should do. So the couple, you know, that bought the house and did this, this was kind of their attempt to give back to the community that Dorothea took from. Um, These same owners put, they kind of, they had, they ran with it. They had fun. They put signs and mannequins up around the house that were supposed to represent Dorothea. One of their signs reads, it was the awful, awful woman that did it. Don't blame me. The house. <laughs> oh, like a quote from the house saying that. Fuck. Um, they apparently have a mannequin with like a wig and a chiffon dress on that looks like Dorothea. Um, so, yeah, and it's not blue anymore. They've, they've renovated it. Um, but, yeah, that was the story of Dorothea Puente and the boarding house from hell well shit oh my god thanks for hanging in for two parts yes wow sorry i know the first part was a little short but we just knew the second part was going to be fucking long so how to split it up there was no way we were doing it in one show Mm -mm. Mm -mm. we have lives (laughs) (laughs) no we don't no we like to pretend so here we are (laughs) but damn the the roller coasters my seatbelt it got loosened up a little bit i thought it was going to slip out for a second i think i did because i broke down there for a little minute just didn't even know how to react but good job thank you yeah so if you guys want to watch the documentary that i watched it's called the murders at the boarding house i believe um Mm -hmm. and i watched it on hulu but it it's probably somewhere else too on like youtube or whatever but I'll link you it. can like find D League ways to download it if you really <laughs> want to. All you got to do is try hard enough. Yeah. It's one of those oxygen performances. So, mm-hmm. um, nice, nice. Yeah. Shout good out job. oxygen. Good rendition. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> oh, that wheeze. I got to stop smoking. Dude, oh, yeah, I I'm can't not. breathe, but I blame the allergies. <laughs> like, my voice is little. I'm blaming allergies. I'm not blaming the copious amounts of smoke <laughs> I inhale every day. <laughs> Anywho, guys, thanks for sticking in. Yeah. Just a reminder, yes, you got treated with three episodes this week because we are going to try a little something new. So the beginning of the week, we will be releasing just one episode, our Drunk Mysteries and History. Beginning of the month. Just to begin- oh, shit. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. First I have drank. <laughs> I have drank copious amounts of red wine copious. at this point. You know what I'm saying? Okay. <laughs> yes. So, um, we will be releasing drunk mysteries and histories around like the first week of the month, uh, just depending on how it lays, just so we can get that content out. They're really interesting stories that we come up with. We have just been finding a hard time picking a spot to release them, and we found one. So we're doing it next week and then we'll just release one the first of every month just to give us a little break as 
students starting a new semester and to give y'all some fun short stories for mysteries and histories while we are very drunk. Hell yeah. Can't wait to take y'all back. It'll be a good time. So stay tuned. I think we'll post that uh, next Wednesday. So Wednesday, you'll be hearing us. And then we'll go back to regular posting. So Uh. be sure to follow us in the meantime on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, Good Pods, YouTube. Uh, I think I, yeah, yeah, I finally fucking did it. (laughs) R-A-R-W podcast. And if you're feeling lonely tonight, send us an email. Red rum and red wine podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. And (laughs) cheers. That's it, guys. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers to not judging a book by its cover because... See you next Tuesday, Dorothea. Dorothy. Dorothy. Dorothea. 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 Cheers to being hard as stone and keeping your composure. I wish I could do that. Um. And preserving those bodies, man. Right? Was that limestone? I'm still confused. <laughs> so it was so it was limestone, right? <laughs> or was it yeah, lime? lime is a powdered form of limestone and chemicals. Nice. So that <laughs> makes sense. I think we're maybe if someone's if we're wrong, you know, hey, send us that Question email mark. that we just said. Question mark, let us know. Are we'll you keep a chemist? You updated. Let me know. Are you more educated than us? Probably. (laughs) Send us an email and tell us all about it. Okay, bye. Bye.